All right, I am going on today with a series that I've been working through here with us about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And the, the quick summary of where we've been with that is we're talking about the kingdom as it exists here and now. That I know we think of the kingdom of heaven in many different ways. Sometimes we think of the kingdom of heaven as an otherworldly thing because the Bible does talk about it in that way. But Jesus also expresses the kingdom as here in this world. That when he comes in the Gospels and declares the kingdom has come with him. Sometimes we think of the kingdom as a future-oriented thing. That the kingdom is yet out there and it's coming later. And that will reach its fulfillment in the future as it comes. But Jesus also expresses in the Gospels the way that the kingdom is also right now. So that's what we've been looking at. The way that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, exists among us right here and right now. Right in our own backyards. And as we've been looking through that, we've been looking at these stories of Jesus that come in the Gospels. In particular, we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew. And as it turns out, as we read these kingdom parables, we're on our fourth week into this now, and we have yet to get out of Matthew chapter 13 because so many of these kingdom parables are right there in that chapter. So uh, this week is the last week that I'll be in Matthew 13, but we're going to bring all of that together with how the kingdom is revealed in what Jesus says in Matthew 13. And today, how the kingdom has a cost, a cost that we see there. I don't know how many of you are familiar in history with Oscar Schindler, if you know who Oscar Schindler is, back in the 90s, Oliver Stone made a film called Schindler's List, which brought some of that story up to light, but a real life person that lived. Oscar Schindler uh, lived in Eastern Europe, in Czechoslovakia, in the 1930s and 40s, and was a prominent and wealthy businessman. Oscar Schindler began as as the German army and the Nazi party started to spread around Europe, Oscar Schindler started out by secretly joining the Nazi party, even though he was not German. And he would feed intelligence to the Nazis about actions taking place in Eastern Europe that helped the Nazis eventually take over Czechoslovakia and Poland and some of those countries there. Oscar Schindler used that to his advantage because now he had favor with German officials in the Nazi party, and, and he won large military contracts with his factories to provide for Germany. And he ended up moving to Poland and taking over a factory there to do that. But as Oskar Schindler learned more about what the Nazis were doing, particularly to exterminate the Jewish population, he changed his mind that he couldn't be a part of that. Oskar Schindler also knew that he by himself could not stand opposed to what they were doing. So he made a choice. His choice was, I'm going to stay where I am and leverage what I have to do as much good as I can in the situation that I'm in. So what Oskar Schindler began to do then was he used his vast wealth to pay, bribe German officials to send Jewish people to him and his factories rather than to the concentration camps to be killed. So he started filling his factories with people that he basically would buy off from German Nazi officials to come work in factories instead. And 
throughout the course of where World War II began, Oskar Schindler began by becoming extraordinarily wealthy in everything he was able to gain. But by the end of World War II, Oskar Schindler was broke, flat broke. He used every last penny that he had to save as many lives as he could. Over a thousand people that he was able to get out of concentration camps and who survived the war in the 1940s. Oskar Schindler saw that the value of life was worth more than the value of his businesses or his factories. So he spent everything for that. Today we look at a few, a few stories, a few parables that talk about the cost of something that is extraordinarily valuable and how that cost comes. So we'll look at that. These are some stories that come from Matthew chapter 13. Before we read those together, would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. God, as we look at your word now, we pray that your spirit would speak to us, that these would not just be words on a page, but that these would be your words for us, your church, and our lives. Lord, may that apply to us in who we are and how we live, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 13. I'm, I'm going to have it on the screen here. In fact, um, this is the entire passage I'm reading today, right on the screen. Two stories, incredibly short stories. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The kingdom, the value of the kingdom, the cost of the kingdom. That's what we're looking at in these stories here today. Uh, let me remind us of something that I've, I've brought through all along on this series as we've been going through this, because these are parables. We're talking about parables. So parables, and this is a definition that comes from Gordon Fee and Doug Stewart in their book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. They talk about parables and define a parable this way. Parables are stories that convey kingdom ideas and call for a response. So we've been saying that every week as we look at a parable, reminding ourselves what these stories are that Jesus tells. Somewhere in all of these stories, there is a kingdom idea, and we've been trying to find week by week, what's the kingdom idea? And they all call for a response, so we have been looking at that as well. What's the response? How does Jesus intend for his readers, his hearers, his listeners to respond and do something because of the story that's given? So this one's no different. There's kingdom idea in this story, and there's a response that is called for in this story as we get into what these parables mean. And I want to remind us, too, of... I've given... a a bit of a word about Matthew 13, because this is now our fourth week in Matthew chapter 13. And we just looked at three verses today. 
But those are all woven into a larger story. So if you've been with us, you know we started this four weeks ago with the beginning of Matthew 13, it's the parable of the sower. All the different kinds of ground, the different soils, and the seed that's scattered in some places it grows, but other places it doesn't. We looked at the story of the wheat and the weeds. And we saw how that, together with the parable of the net, is sort of a bookend in Matthew 13, right? It's, it's a story that's broken up in Matthew 13. It starts here, and then it's come back to in here, and then it goes here. And we saw that. And then last week, we looked at the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast, right in the middle of those stories. It's right in the middle of the parable of the weeds, talking about how the kingdom can have great effect by starting with small action, small places. And now today, these ones, these two stories here, the treasure and the pearl. But remembering then that this actually lands right in the middle of a larger story. In fact, if you're, if you're looking at it in a Bible, the, the way that this story lands is it comes right in between where Jesus has to explain to his disciples what the wheat and the weeds was all about. And then he tells these two stories. And then he tells the parable of the net, which is really a retelling of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. So those things are all tied together. Meaning some of these other kingdom ideas that we've already seen over the past number of weeks, uh, they don't get pushed aside here. But Jesus is weaving them all together. And we'll see how that comes about as we get towards an ending of this one. To see that some of those other kingdom ideas come to play in what the response out of this one is as well. So we'll remember that. Remember some of those other kingdom ideas. The parable of the, the sower, that the kingdom is something that grows. The parable of the wheat and the weeds, we saw the kingdom idea there that the kingdom is sometime tangled up in some pretty messy places. We saw in the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast that the kingdom can have such small beginnings. What seems so insignificant grows to become part of the kingdom. And now today, we add this one into it to see what the kingdom is all about as a treasure, something of value. Just two stories that take place in three verses. So let's look at that first story again. It's just one verse, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then went in his joy and sold all he had and bought that field. There's not a lot of detail here, right? I mean, Jesus summarizes this entire story in one verse. So there's some things here that we don't know. We don't know who this man is. We don't know what the treasure exactly was that he found. We don't know anything about the field where it was found. And we don't know what all it was he had to sell to get this. Those, story, those details are left out of the story, and they must be insignificant for that then. It doesn't matter who this man is. It doesn't matter what exactly the treasure was. It doesn't matter anything about the field. We don't know, was he out looking for treasure intentionally, or did he just accidentally stumble upon it? 
those details don't seem important for us. Or Jesus would have drawn some attention to it. So let's look at what we do know. What does come through these stories then? Well, we know that when this man finds this treasure, that he goes to acquire the field, right? He, he doesn't just take the treasure, whatever it is. He doesn't steal it or run off with it, but he acquires, he buys the field that it's in. And we know from the story that it costs everything that he has. That Jesus says he sold everything to buy this field, all that he had. Those are the two things that we know out of this story. And it comes into the next story then, where there's a common thread that works through. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. All right, so this time we get a little better picture. This merchant, we don't have a question, did he accidentally stumble on it? or Nope, he was looking. He was seeking, searching this out. And when he finds it, the common thread from the other story, sells everything that he has to buy this, to acquire this pearl for his own. And we see something of a kingdom idea rather simply tucked into these two stories. Jesus is trying to tell us something about the value of the kingdom. That the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything else in the world. He's weaving that into these stories, these other stories now, right? We've seen, yep, the kingdom of God is a kingdom that grows. The kingdom of God can be tangled up in a messy world. And the kingdom of God can start as something really small. And now Jesus is adding on top of that, into that, woven into it. And the kingdom of God has extraordinary value more valuable than anything else in this world. There's something that maybe we should give a little attention to here, though, about the hiddenness of this. Because if you've been tracking through Matthew 13, it's not the first time that Jesus has said something about the kingdom being hidden. And what's that all about? Why is it hidden? Is it that God is intentionally hiding himself for the kingdom? Well, that doesn't seem to make sense with other parts of the gospel where Jesus has come to reveal the kingdom and reveal who he is and bring salvation. So it it doesn't really fit together that in these stories, Jesus would, would say, oh, no, but you actually can't see it because I'm hiding it. That doesn't seem to make sense. So so what is going on with a hidden kingdom? I think what Jesus is acknowledging here is he's not acknowledging that God is the one who's hiding things, but what he's giving a word towards here is the way that even though Jesus himself reveals the kingdom as he comes into this world, there are people who just seem to miss it don't see it. They don't get it. They don't comprehend it. They don't understand it. I think in these stories, Jesus is acknowledging that for us. That the kingdom, even though he's not the one who's hiding it, that the kingdom is something that for others in this world seems to remain hidden. That they just don't see it or have that ability to see how the kingdom works itself out. 
So that makes it especially important then, right? I think that one. Especially important that for those who are seeking the kingdom, you're maybe going to find it in some unexpected places. Because if it was blatantly obvious to everyone in the world, then why wouldn't everyone in the world see it? So there's something about searching, looking, and maybe unexpected places. Now, in this story in particular, we, we have the example of two individuals. A man who finds a treasure in a field and a merchant who's looking for pearls. Now, in, in the man in the field, as I say, we, we don't know, did he just accidentally stumble on it or was he looking for it? But once he saw it, he knew what it was. Once he found it, he said, this is more valuable than anything else in the world. Similarly, the merchant, now he's looking, he's seeking out this pearl, but when he finds it, he knows what it is. He says, this is a treasure more valuable than anything else in the world. So we're, we're narrowing our focus here. These are two people in, this, in these parables who know the value of what it is when they find it. It's not hidden to them, at least not anymore, because they've discovered the true value in what they've found. That's an important detail, that they, they discover and know the value and in how they react to that. The value of the kingdom. What is this kingdom worth? What is the value of the kingdom? When we look at this and see how the value of the kingdom comes to us, there is something of a question about that. I've never been homeless in my, my life, in my life story. I was born into a family that has always had a house. So my entire life, I've had a bed in a bedroom at night to crawl into and pillow of my own and covers to pull over. And there's never in my life ever been a day where I've had to question where am I going to sleep tonight? I don't know what that's like. Because I, I grew up in that, and then when I came of age of moving out of my parents' home, I was able to get a home of my own, and I've always had that. I'm not sure that I really understand the immense value of having a home. Um, and maybe because... I've never been without. There are some people, in fact, some people here who know what it's like to be without a home for some time, who've had that taken away, destroyed in some way, or been without. There are some people who know what it's like to have a day where you have to wonder, where am I going to sleep tonight? I don't know. Where am I going to sleep tomorrow? I don't know. Uh, we, we share our building here with a refugee congregation that comes in on Sunday afternoons. They're all refugees from Africa. This, in the afternoon, this room is filled with over 100 people, all of whom, every single one of whom, knows what it's like to be homeless. Every single one of them. They've all, at some point, lost their home, had to run away from war and Congo and other places in Africa. 
Some of them having lived for years in a refugee camp somewhere before they could process refugee papers to come here and be here. There are people in this world, billions of people in this world, who know what it's like to not have a home. And when they get one, when they find one, you know what? I think they understand the value of that in ways that I'm going to confess. I take for granted because I've always had it. It's always been there. That perhaps there are people that when they crawl into a bed of their own in their home are overwhelmed with gratitude of, I have a place to sleep tonight and it's safe. But you know what? When I crawl in my bed at night, I don't have that overwhelming gratitude because that's how I've crawled into bed every single night of my life. I've never known anything different than that. Here's what I'm getting at. that I, I think for some of us, maybe many of us here, who are perhaps born into a Christian family, that you've known church your whole life in some way, that, that this idea of the kingdom, yep, God's kingdom, a kingdom that he calls together and his people of the gathered church express something of that kingdom. I've been a part of that my whole life. I don't know what it's like to live apart from that kingdom. So do I take the value of that for granted? Because I don't know what it's like to live without it? Do I really know what it means to value the kingdom that God has brought? Because how would I know what it's like to live without it? So what's the value of that kingdom? What does that kingdom cost? Because that kingdom did come at a cost. This kingdom that we've been talking about. Jesus gave his life so that it could be ours. Right? That Jesus calls us brothers and sisters, his co-heirs. That we've been adopted into a family where now this kingdom is something that he shares and gives with us. And he paid everything for it. Everything. By going to a cross. That's how valuable this kingdom is to God. Valuable enough that Jesus says, I will give up myself and I will go to a cross so that this kingdom can be a kingdom for us, can be ours. That's the value. That's the cost of this kingdom. And sometimes I forget that. Oh, I, I don't forget that Jesus sacrificed himself and went to the cross, but sometimes I forget the value, how much that cost, how valuable that is, and what that means. So if Jesus is willing to give everything for this kingdom, what will I give? Right? What, what's the value in that for you and for me as we think about what it means for us to live as people of this kingdom, a kingdom that's come to us now. 
If nothing in this world is more valuable than the kingdom, then the only things in this world which have value then are things that are of the kingdom, for the kingdom. There's a response that's called for. We talk about that with these parables. There's a kingdom idea, and then there's a response. What is the response that's called for here? Well, on, on the one hand, you look at the story itself, right? That those who find this treasure sell everything that they have in their life to acquire it. And, and we have to take a little nuance with that because let's acknowledge something. We cannot buy the kingdom, right? It came at a cost where Jesus paid the price for it. Jesus was the one who paid what was required for the value of this kingdom because because we can't. We can't pay that. Jesus paid it for us. So it's not a response of, all right, I've got to sell everything I have now and and give it to the church because I need to buy my way into this kingdom. Nope, that's not what the story's going after here. That's not the response. We can't buy our way in. Jesus has already paid that and given it to us. But there is a response, isn't there? A response of something that shows the value and how valuable this kingdom is to God and that it's given to us as a place that we now belong in it. And how should we live then as people within this kingdom? Here's where we connect a little bit with the other stories in the chapter. Because we're getting to the end of chapter 13 and Jesus is, you know, weaving this one all together, tying this one up. We've already seen how the kingdom is something that grows. We've already seen how the kingdom is something that can be tangled up in a messy world. We've already seen how the kingdom starts with these really small things and grows to be large from there. That the kingdom is something that produces, produces kingdom fruit. So we've talked about that. A response here is one that recognizes, you know what, the things in my world that help produce this kingdom fruit, that help me engage and be a part of this kingdom, that has more valuable, more value in my life than anything else. I would give anything for a life connected to the Holy Spirit which produces kingdom fruit because that's valuable. I'd give anything for that. Connected to the Holy Spirit producing kingdom fruit, however that works out. And that can be common, ordinary, everyday things, if you think about that. Right? I mean, I'll just think of some common examples. Is the time that I'm spending on social media and what I do on social media, is that helping to contribute to my ability to produce kingdom fruit? Or is it taking away from it? Because if it's not adding value to my ability to be a person who produces kingdom fruit, then it has no value. The time that I spend maybe watching TV and movies, are are these things that resonate in ways that help me to become and grow a person, to be a person who produces kingdom fruit? Or does it take away from that? Think about those activities that fill your day then. The the things that you pour into yourselves and things that maybe on the one hand have an ability to help produce kingdom fruit. We've talked about kingdom fruit, right? The, The fruit of the Spirit. 
right? Things that help me become a person who is more loving, more joyful, more patient, more kind, more peaceful, those fruits of the Spirit. Those things in this world that help me to embrace those kinds of qualities and characteristics in who I am. That there are things in this world that cultivate that, that help that to grow and flourish. The Holy Spirit connects us to those things. And Jesus is telling us here in this story, that's more valuable than anything else in this world. That Jesus gave everything so that we could have that. So that we could be people who express that and live within that. My response then is a response to give anything for a life connected to the Holy Spirit that produces kingdom fruit. We see in this story that those who recognize the treasure, once they see it, they know it, they recognize it, and they say, you know what, I'm all in. I'm putting everything on this. This is my life now. And anything else I had in my life that doesn't contribute towards the value of this doesn't matter. It reorientates the perspective of who we are then in seeing the value of this kingdom that Jesus paid for with his life for us to be ours. So we do that then. We do that as people of gratitude. Right? Remembering, we're not trying to buy our way in, but it's already been bought for us. And then we live as those who receive the benefit of that value. So, as I go home to my home today that I've always had, and sleep in the bed that I've always had a bed, maybe I should recognize and be a little more grateful, a lot more grateful for something that perhaps I've taken for granted because it's always been there. And as I see in my life ways in which God's Holy Spirit connects and thrives so that some of these kingdom fruits can grow and prosper, maybe I should be a little more grateful, maybe a lot more grateful and not take for granted the value that plays in God continuing to hold and draw and bring us to himself as people of his kingdom. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word. And Lord, we have to, first of all, confess and say we're sorry for times when we have lost the value of the kingdom that you have brought when we've taken it for granted. Lord, help us to see and recognize again that uh, this kingdom that you've called us to be a part of is a kingdom that cost you everything, cost you your life on the cross. And Lord, we're sorry for times when maybe we've tried to buy our own way in, prove our own worth, make it about how good we are. May we instead... Strive to be people who live as you've called us to produce that kingdom fruit that you've placed and planted within us so that we can be the people that 
you've created and called us to be. Help us to do that and do that well. And help us to not take for granted how immeasurably valuable this is. Thank you for that. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.